Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. And welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Behind the Scene, a bi-monthly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. Today, we're going to be talking about code violations. And when we talk about code, uh, we kind of mean laws or regulations that are in place to guide us in society, kind of control us, and not necessarily even in a deviant or a devious way, uh, as much as just these are the rules that we have in place to create order in society. And But we first want to talk about the personal codes that we live by. And these are things that inform our daily habits, our daily routines. Um, and these can be uh, informed by religious texts. They can be whatever your framework is. Uh, that's what we kind of want to talk about a little bit um, today. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah. should be super fun to talk about how you violate your own yeah. values every day. Yeah. <laughs> your I mean, principles or even where we get them from, yeah. you know. Um, you know, what comes to mind initially is you know, we talk about the Bible a lot on this podcast. You all just have to bear with us if you don't care about that. But I think the Bible is fantastic text. But in Romans 7, um, the apostle Paul writes, he goes, but had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Super fascinating, you know, and what is the, what is the law? The law he's referencing is basically the 10 commandments. You know, he's referencing, uh, when Jesus says, you know, that the first commandment is to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is like it to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, that if it wasn't for those, uh, that law, that we would not know the difference or the differences between right or wrong. Yeah, I think that the the code, uh, and pardon my voice, um, there was I was at a birthday party this weekend, at karaoke, and holy cow. That's a code violation. That, that is a code violation. <laughs> Let me tell you, there were some code violators up there in the bar. Yeah. They had this. I was not one of them, but like okay. – uh, but in the bar area, they had this, uh, I don't know why, like an open karaoke thing. Like most of the time, like they had these rooms set up where you could go in and you could do your karaoke. But for some reason, they also had karaoke by the bar. And so you were exposed to some really bad singing, which, you know, is a shame. That is a shame. That That is a code violation. It right is there. a code violation. We've talked about it. Those people that go on American Idol or any of those shows, right? And they've been told their whole lives, so saith them, mm-hmm. that they are the best singers right mm-hmm. and they get in front of someone like simon cowell who mm-hmm. then says it's horrible what mm-hmm. you're doing <laughs> and yeah. then they are so convinced those judges yeah. don't know anything they don't know yeah. anything it's like oh no we can tell you right. are a horrible singer yep. and you have violated all of my sensibilities right, right. now yeah yep. as we were preparing for this episode i started singing a little ditty to uh smooth operator and yes. Brandon, would you, would you, you want me to sing? I want you to just to go like code violators, yes. code violators. Thank yeah. You. Thank that's you what we that. are. That's beautiful. That's what we are. If you missed uh, the black history <laughs> event that we put on uh, in February, a lot of people were surprised just at how well you could sing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, people were surprised. Well, I'm, I'm getting out there. It's, it's, yeah. it's different. If you see me in like church or something, maybe you're more. Um, more exposed to me singing in that capacity. I've sung since I was three mm-hmm. um, and uh, have been performing since about that long mm-hmm. as well. In my professional life, I don't get to do that as much. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that and not just sing, you know, church songs, you know, mm-hmm. but to get up and we had, we had a really good time, you know, really singing, you know, songs that, um, you know, help to reinforce our sense of dignity, mm-hmm. you know, for every person in the room. Yeah. Um, and even people outside of the room, yeah, you know, so art, art helps. Art does help. And I've, I was surprised, like when people say that they were surprised you, you could sing, I guess I knew that from the very first day that we met, like, you know, getting to know you, that singing was a big part. You enjoyed the arts. We went and saw a show on Broadway shortly after that, because I knew that you were into singing and performance <laughs> and all that. And so I was like, oh yeah, Brandon, he yeah. just, he sings. That's what he does. Like yeah, people to, know that. To say that I am into theater and into Broadway, <laughs> I am, I am. That's an understatement. It is an understatement indeed. I am in, I am a fan. <laughs> a fan is a true follower. Mm-hmm. Like I am a follower. But someone asked me last night, like, well, you know, are you following you know, like the final four and everything? And I'm like, yeah, I like basketball. I'm following it. You know, I don't know. Um, and I like sports in general. I'm not one of those people that can tell you 
stats, you know, about players, you know, X, Y, and Z thing about them. But I can tell you where Kristen Chenoweth is going to be next Monday night. And I can tell you where Ben Platt is going to be in a week. And I can tell you what shows they've been in throughout the course of their career. So anyway, so there are certain things, you know, you just mm -hmm. fall into what you love. Yeah. This is a little bit off topic, but we're no, going to bring it back. No, we are. <laughs> and it, this back. is how we're going to bring it back. Brandon's singing. He does not violate code when he's Code, but I don't. That's exactly right. So. I don't. I'm trying not to. I, I've had moments when I violated the code, you know, when you hit the wrong note. You know, and sometimes it's just good for people to hear wrong notes. So they yeah. love you in spite of it. So if we're ever putting on an event in your area uh, and we want to incorporate Brandon's singing and you want to experience it, that is one reason to compel you to come out. Hey, and I will I will pay you to let me sing somewhere the mm -hmm. first time. After that, you pay me. Yeah. There you how go. about that? That's how you, we do it more. Been put on notice. <laughs> been put on notice. Okay. Um, so, okay. So getting back on topic to, to code violations. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have our... Our daily routines, our daily frameworks, uh, and those look different for each other. Last week, we talked about a little bit about um, relativism and how I think that that's kind of how one way that it plays out is that a lot of code, a lot of laws, regulations, those are social constructs that we put in place to, to kind of guide our lives and how we want to live as people. In D.C., a lot of regulation on street parking, and that was one thing that I had experienced. Coming from Dallas, <laughs> where you could park about just anywhere. It's so funny. You can't uh, park anywhere here without getting a you ticket. <laughs> I, I got a ticket. Like, even I'm like, what? What is going on? A hundred dollar ticket. And I haven't gotten a parking ticket since college when I racked up like a thousand dollars worth of tickets because I was parking in like, Ugh. yeah, I was silly. A thousand dollars. Seriously, literally a thousand dollars. Don't do it. Stop doing it. But Whatever sometimes it I'd doing. be like running late to work or class and I'd have to park in like the faculty, the faculty parking and. Like once you do that, like a dozen times, it taken, taken, taken shortcuts, taking yeah. shortcuts. Well, I think, you know, this gets into this whole point because I, I even just did it to you. I was like, just stop doing it. You know, just whatever it is you're doing, you know, and you have your reasons, you know, why you don't do it, like why you keep doing it rather. And, um, you know, that, that gets into sort of our own conversation around personal code violations, but also how we can look at other people, you know, when they continually are breaking code or even breaking laws, you know, and just say, why don't we just stop doing it? Just stop mm -hmm. doing that thing, you know? And it obviously wasn't as easy as that, you know, for you in that circumstance, you know, we're talking along the, the spectrum of race and generational sort of racial systemic problems, you know, but I think that once you have it locked into your rationale, you know, that this is the way that you're going to survive, you know, you prioritize, you mm -hmm. know, getting to class mm -hmm. and are willing to sacrifice, you know, going to, um, the, 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 uh, the faculty parking lot, you know, mm -hmm. and risk getting a ticket, right? Mm -hmm. And um, imagine that you are African American, you know, or Latino, and living in a depressed neighborhood and part of town, you know, and you don't have access, you know, to resources, you know, um, helplessness and homelessness, you know, poverty. These things are real. That you resort to violent or nonviolent um, means mm -hmm. that get you what you need, mm -hmm. right? So you can put food on the table, right? Yeah. I mean, these are things, you know, that we don't have a lot of sensitivity to right now, or rather we have an over an oversensitivity to in terms of how negative we feel about things like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I say the collective we, I think that the collective we in this country is offended by things like that. And I think it's particularly sensitive if you're a part of the majority. Yeah. So. No, totally. And when I'm like violating uh, parking rules at, at in college, I could have fixed that. Like I could have just not necessarily just just stop it. Like you can modify that behavior like that. But what I could have done is I could have examined what was causing me to park in the faculty parking lot and then worked backward to identify ways that I can modify that behavior. If I was parking in the faculty parking lot because I was running late, um, then what's the behavior I need to modify? Maybe it's I need to get up a little bit earlier. Uh, maybe I'm sleeping in late because I'm going to bed late. And so all these things impact one and the other. And so it's not just a matter of like not doing it but modifying the behaviors that cause you to do it in the first place. Yep. And so that examination, maybe I was putting off the examination because I knew that those were things that maybe I would have to address. And so it was just easier to continue doing the behavior, showing up late, parking in the faculty parking lot, getting a ticket, and then having to deal with the, the fallout later. I couldn't graduate until I paid that thousand dollar worth of tickets, you know? Mm -hmm. And That's so, right. <laughs> uh, so it's not just as easy as doing that. And if, and you talk about as the majority, what we're talking about code violations today is because of like mass incarceration, which disproportionately affects uh, black and poor people um, is because it's not as simple as just saying, just stop. 
like just if well if you didn't do x y or z if you didn't commit these crimes then you wouldn't be in jail in the first place it's easy to do that when you are more affluent or maybe you come from uh, a family who's instilled some of these disciplines in you and all that comes from i know it's a, a word that triggers people but a certain amount of privilege that allows you to do that if you can be freed up to think about those things and holistically understand the totality of that there's a certain amount of privilege that you have because you have the time, the freedom, the resources, the training to go and kind of do that work that's required. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I mean, the word privilege is jarring. We've talked about it. Check out season one, you know, our conversation on white privilege, white fragility, and then whiteness. That's three episodes, you know, that you can sort of get to to sort of get our take on privilege and a conversation that we're trying to have along that word, you know, but here's something just that's coming to my mind right now is that in this scenario, you know, Mark, that you're talking about, it's like, you can work backwards, you know, and not only work backwards and, um, you know, in, in a, in a, in a, in a formulaic sense that helps, helps you to break down, um, some steps to get better, but understanding too, that it's not just easy to change it. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think that, that, that falls in line with a lot of how we see addiction and then other behaviors, you know, that are detrimental to a lot of people when I'm working as a, as a counselor, as a therapist, you understand that like people have to unpack um, the whole of their lives sometimes ready to figure out why they're doing something over and over and over again. And more than anything, it always comes down to an issue of identity, of self-worth and self-esteem and what has informed us, you know, in a negative sense of how we are not something enough or we are too much of something. Um, I think that part of privilege is being able to isolate that to the individual, right? When we're talking about things like mass incarceration and the dis, dis, disproportionality of that incarceration for black and brown people, then it is more than just looking at the individual and then unpacking that individual's childhood and their trauma. Now we're unpacking um, a generation of, of infractions and the way that a system has been built, the way that um, people that are in authority and in power Re react to people that are black and brown. Um, we are looking at bias. We are looking at discrimination. We are looking at ways in which we are um, really ingrained um, in our thinking. Um, if you're part of the minority, you think, you know, probably less trusting of the majority. And if you're a part of the majority, part of the white culture, then we then you probably fill in gaps at certain times in certain places where you think that black and brown people are more kind of degenerate, you know, and more, um, and, and, and more liable to be criminal, you know, and that helps to, you know, sort of put things in a certain context for, you know, 30, 60, 50, you know, 400 years, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, worth of, um, of, 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 of real issues in our criminal justice system, you know, yeah. um, that, that doesn't just look at the individual anymore. We still need to look at that individual person, mm -hmm. but we have a lot more that we have to unpack. That's what I mean when it's super like, um, it's, it's, it's a complex thing that we're trying to do here. It's mm -hmm. not as binary as we'd like it to be. Right. Um, and we only want it to be binary so we don't have to take responsibility for anything. Yes. And, and so when we're talking about like, we want to point, take it back to your own personal life and show you the complexities in your personal life and how much more complex is it on a macro scale when you're talking about a whole society. And we talked about last season, we talked about generational trauma and, and how, you know, it can't we can't just measure it on the the personal level because there were a, a whole bunch of actions that preceded our arrival even on this earth our existence you know our parents decisions the decisions of people in society before that and so to unpack this you know if you were to to take it to a counselor and unpack the totality of like our society and go back 400 years and slavery and the broken families that slavery um, perpetuated against people. Um, and then even when slavery ended, a lot of people I think would be surprised to learn this, that in the 13th amendment, and maybe this was part of the, you know, the political gaming to get the 13th amendment passed anyway, to abolish slavery, there was actually language in there that allowed slavery. Um, slavery was abolished except for punishment for crime. And so what that did, I think uh, a lot of mass incarceration that you see, uh, occurred in, in some, you know, labor, uh, indentured labor is stems from that. And so families continue to be broken up even after slavery was abolished 
um, because, well, if we can enslave someone for violating a crime, we just set up the rules in such a way that it ensnares those people that we that we want to incarcerate. And so that's what you see now uh, is a history of families who have been incarcerated. And when, you know, when your father's been incarcerated, when you have a whole line of that broken families, you know, if you think about single mothers, like there's just so much that these behaviors make a lot more sense when you look at the totality of that. Yeah, there's a lot to look at. And there's school to prison pipeline. There's, you know, anyway, there's a number of things just um, at the systemic level we're talking about, Mark, just to hit back just a moment on, on on what you just said around the 13th Amendment and, you know, the language of of the 13th Amendment, you know, is um, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdictions. This is 1865 Amendment. Now, mind you, this is also what it says. So let me take out some of the commas, some of the some of the parentheticals, right? Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist in the United States except, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and I think that we, we have to consider, um, you know, the complexity of the intention here with this. I can't say, I can't say for sure <laughs> that the intention of the 13th Amendment was to create a loophole where slavery would show up a generation later <laughs> in the context of the criminal justice system. You know, I can't speak to that. I honestly don't know. You know, I mean, I I mean, I think that we assume that sometimes just because of how it's happened, you know, that um, maybe it was intentional for some. I can't say it. I can almost say that it probably was intentional for some, um, but I can't say that it was like intentional for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. That was a part of this. But it also says there that Congress has the power to enforce this amendment, you know? And um, when you look at, if, if, if you guys haven't looked at Ava, Ava DuVernay's documentary called 13th, check it out on Netflix. I watch it. I've watched it more than once. Um, Ava DuVernay, who... Actually, I saw in person last week. Um, I didn't speak to her, but I saw her in person at um, at the Museum Free Expression Awards. It was a fantastic speech she gave um, uh, around equity and around equality and human dignity and and all these things. Really amazing. Um, and uh, she was she was really receiving an award, you know, for her work, you know, as a as an African American woman, you know, and all the things that that she has done. But she's really gotten claim to fame for the movie she did, Selma. That was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, but this documentary, 13th, talks about the woes of the criminal justice system and how, um, uh, and if if you watch it, when you watch it, <laughs> you will um, see a lot of the comparison that they are making, right? Not even comparison, but I think proof that there are, that, that there is a form of slavery happening in the context of the criminal justice system, you know, mm-hmm. that is disproportionately being represented by black and brown people, mm-hmm. right? And so the way that things look, you, we wouldn't know, we shelter our, ourselves, you know, in, in, our, in our modern day culture of understanding what happens in prison culture, um, <clears throat> you know, with like, oh, this is punishment, right? Like certain things, you know, but mind you, there are certain activities. I won't tell you, you should just watch the documentary. There are certain things going on in the context of prison of, uh, uh, you know, that are for, that are creating gain and financial gain for major companies in this country and around the world. So just think about sort of the, the tension that we have to uh, see there that slavery was unpaid labor, <laughs> right? Um, uh, it was free labor at the benefit for the benefit of the majority, mm-hmm. you know, and now we see it as like incarceration. You should be incarcerated. You're a criminal, you mm-hmm. know, and now we create this system, you know, where you were able to do certain tasks, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, um, collectively as a part of your rehabilitation mm-hmm. and you kill two birds with one stone, mm-hmm. you get re- rehabilitated, but you're not really rehabilitated um (laughs) and you um then of course are making money um, Mm -hmm. for another entity or an institution Mm -hmm. so so anyway so just watch the documentary and you'll you'll see some some things about that yeah 
um, that's a good resource, a good rec for that. Um, and, and even like the privatized prison system, I think yeah. a lot of people might be surprised to learn that uh, there are private entities that are operating these uh, prisons and gaining monetary economic benefit for, for doing that. And so, um, but so again, like a, a white person might say, well, if, again, if you just don't commit the crime, don't do the time. If you can't do the time, don't commit the crime. Like that kind of jink. Like, do you remember that saying? Oh, it's certainly. still a thing. Um, it is still a thing. It's still a thing. Thank you for say. telling me. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, will, I will remember know, that. I'll remember Google that. Google it. Um, that's that. my basically contribution to this episode. <laughs> do the time. Uh, if you don't, if you, what, what, what is it? If you can't the, do the time, don't do the crime. If you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Which is that? Who was it that said that? I have no idea. I don't know, but I've heard it. Probably Abraham Lincoln. Maybe somebody. Well, maybe <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Oh God, I hope I not. Um, someone come. Someone look it up for us. Yeah, and let us know. <laughs> Slide into our DMs with that knowledge. Um, <laughs> but we can't. So we again, we can't disconnect it. So from just again the personal responsibility. A lot of this disproportionately, uh, like research and studies have shown that um, part of the contributing factors to incarceration and. and crime is economic disadvantages and uh black people are disproportionately impacted by economic disadvantages and one of the reasons again for that is because wealth was um, accumulated by white majority and when you have people who are enslaved for 400 years and still feel the ramifications of that and put in um you know if you talk about like cities put in these public housings and like they really they're their starting point is so much lower for mm -hmm. the most part on the whole mm -hmm. than, than a white person. There's still poor white people, of course, but uh, the economic disadvantages are disproportionately felt by the black community. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely true. So we, we, you know, we're, we're being very intentional, you know, um, in this season, you know, about digging deeper, digging deeper for, for ourselves, you know, and um, getting some statistics and, trying to integrate our understanding, you know, even more and to dig into um, the complexity, you know, of what we're talking about. So um, Mark just mentioned that. Uh, I just want to read something from the Sentencing Project and it won't take us very long. We'll post this in our notes and you guys can see it. You know, we'll just give you a couple of stats here. But um, uh, so this is from the, the Sentencing Project. The United States criminal justice system is the largest in the world. At year-end 2011, approximately 7 million individuals were under some form of correctional control in the United States, including 2.2 million in incarcerated in federal, state, or local prisons and jails. The U.S. has the highest incarceration rate in the world, dwarfing the rate of nearly every other nation. And it continues, such broad statistics mask the racial disparity that that pervades the U.S. criminal justice system. Racial minorities are more likely than white Americans to be arrested. Once arrested, they are more likely to be convicted, and once convicted, they are more likely to face stiff sentences. African-American males are six times more likely to be incarcerated than white males, and 2.5 times more likely than Hispanic males. If current trends continue, one of every three Black American males born today can expect to go to prison in his lifetime, one in three, as can one of every six Latino males, compared to one of every, seven, one of every 17 white males. Just imagine that. Racial and ethnic disparities among women are less substantial than among men, but still remain prevalent. The source of such disparities, as gets to your point, Mark, is deeper and more systemic than explicit racial discrimination. The United States, in effect, operates two distinct criminal justice systems, one for wealthy people and another for poor people and minorities. The former is, is the system that the United States really does, um, uh, uh, it talks about in its report, um, calling it a vigorous um, adversary system that is replete with constitutional protections for defendants. Yet the experiences of poor and minority defendants within the criminal justice system often differ substantially from that model due to a number of factors, each of which contributes to the overrepresentation of such individuals in that system. And that um, is uh, from the from the sentencing project written by um, Georgetown Law Professor David. Cole in his book, No Equal Justice. So that just gets to what, what you're saying that a lot of it's, it's more than just racial discrimination. It's actually getting to issues of poverty and homelessness and honestly, your zip code, you know, 
um, where you live <laughs> um, and the culture in which you've lived in in a particular zip code, mm. you know, um, actually does make you a bit more um, liable, you know, mm. for um, some sort of connection or contact with yeah. not only police, but the criminal justice system itself. And that yeah. tends to be for black and brown people. Right. And, disproportionately and you can even see in a recent example, uh, Robert Kraft, the, the owner of the New England Patriots, was caught up in a prostitution ring sting where there was this, uh, I think it was a massage parlor that was operating. I uh, was trafficking people from what I understand, if I'm remembering that correctly. And then Robert Kraft was one who was allegedly caught up in that. And so and who looks like he's not going to do really any time. Uh, but you can guarantee that if that was a poor person or a black person, that they wouldn't be able to walk. They wouldn't be getting the opportunity to walk. Well, you can almost guarantee it. that nearly speaking. But then we got this other thing going on. And I'm I'm sorry, but I, now we got to talk about it. You know where I'm going. You know, now I can't do Jesse it. Smollett. Like, we Are you have going to there? talk about Jesse Smollett. I'm oh, sorry. Man. But we got here now. Talk about another person who's not going to see. At least we don't think he's going to see jail time. Um, you know, it seems like he's not going to right now. But this is, I mean, this is a really interesting story. Like it's, I mean, part of me is kind of like, wow, like he actually got away with it. Mm. You know, like if he. I what, mean, what is it? It is allegedly what Jesse Smollett did is he, he you know, and, and this is allegedly. Um, that he fabricated a hate crime against himself um, and had allegedly hired two colleagues of his sort of that are of African descent, actually African living in the US, Nigeria, but are, yeah, um, to dress up in whiteface and buy red hats. And he said, you know, that some, you know, that this is what Jesse said that he had a, uh, uh, that that these people had had attacked him, saying that this is Trump country, MFR, blah blah blah. Anyway, all of this stuff, and then he went on national television. But allegedly, you know, he fabricated all of this um, because he was dissatisfied with the way um, with what he was getting paid at the show mm -hmm. Empire, um, uh, where he plays the character Jamal. So anyway, so you guys probably know about that. But it's important to recognize this whole thing. Talking, mean, you bring up craft. You know, and sort of his whole thing and how he's getting away with it. And then imagine, let's just say that Jesse Smollett actually committed all of this stuff. He would be like the one next to OJ, <laughs> you know, but OJ didn't really end up getting away with it. I mean, he got away with it, but he didn't get away with everything. He went to jail for a long time and now he's out. But Jesse, you know, this is like the thing. I was like, wow, like you're actually going to... um, Like get away with it and they're not going to prosecute you. Now, one wouldn't... Guess how did this happen, right? Mm. It's his connection with Kim, what's her name, you know, who's the DA over there in Chicago. And then her connection and Jesse's connection to the Obamas is what is allegedly mm. being kind of mm. suspect right now, you know. So regardless of your feelings about this, you know, um, this, this brings up a lot of emotions, you know, for me around criminal justice and the way that, you know, um, African-American men, you know, can be seen in like relationship to the system. Um, uh, he's telling one story that is the story that we're telling today. Mm -hmm. Right. But he is also like inhibiting something. Right. I mean, he's, he's also like kind of exploiting the system allegedly, you know, if, if, if this is all, if, if, if this is all true, like allegedly true, then he's exploiting his own connections. Right. And maybe setting back race relations in Chicago a decade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or more yeah. yeah and it's entirely possible and you yeah. know i've i've been surprised at how many people i've seen friends of mine post on facebook like oh so glad like they're dropping charges like uh you know bless bless them and like i'm pretty convinced that he did fabricate the whole thing i think that that's what the investigation was pretty clear everything that we know we see in the media like i don't think that like i don't think that he's i think he did it and and but here's what I also think. I think the investigation showed not only that he did it, but that a man who will do that is there's probably some maybe not mental health issues, but there's a sort of unhealthiness going on there that oh, I don't sure. think that yeah. jail time could fix. So I don't know that like jail was the right answer, but I do think that maybe charges and prosecution and maybe you work out a plea deal. Maybe you extract a fine against this man because part of the privilege mm -hmm. that he's operating in is one knowing those people in power, but also just he's a wealthy guy by virtue of being a celebrity. I, I imagine mm -hmm. I don't know what his yeah. money, you know, 
what his monetary value is, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's probably loaded. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's good. So I think <laughs> he's, he's, he's been doing stuff yeah. for a long time. He's been a celebrity for a while. So yeah. I don't know that he should have necessarily gone to jail. That's my personal feelings. I don't know that jail would have done him any good, but I also don't know that charges should have just been dropped because then what happened was he went back on TV and was like, I've been honest this whole time and forthcoming and blah, blah, blah. And I just don't like to see him continue to run with that narrative was it's like, hard. It is hard. It is hard. It is hard. And, you know, this was all happening in February. And we had said in a conversation with each other, I was like, February was a really rough month, you know, for black history. You know, And I was like, yeah. can I have some celebrations and not all this other stuff? You know, yeah. it was that and the R. Kelly thing. We haven't even talked about R. Kelly here, mm. but we should definitely isolate an episode. And now Michael Jackson, too. And then the Michael Jackson documentary also came out in February. So, I mean, here's the thing. Even this like indictment after the fact. Right. I mean, this is like. You know, where it's hard to pull apart if if you're me, if you're if, like as an African-American person, you know, it's hard for me just to look at this case, whether it's a Jesse Smollett case or R. Kelly, whatever it is, it's just an isolated thing, right? You know, if you're a part of the majority, you're white, you're like, this is just, this is one case, right? It's Jesse Smollett, right? And I think that's appropriate, right? Mostly appropriate. And then... Part of, but it's also part of the privilege because what I'm thinking is like, man, Jesse Smollett is like doing us all a bad name, right? Like it's, it's, it's actually the converse of the privilege to put that kind of weight on him to actually say you are responsible now for not effing this up for all of us, right? Like this is on you. <laughs> and the reality is that he cannot be the represent, the, the representative um, of not only black men, but gay people because <laughs> mm -hmm. he is a gay man. Um, so he, it's, it's not right. So he has the rights and the privileges of being a criminal on his own. <laughs> and we have the right to not be represented by him, you know, mm -hmm. and yet that's part of what's, what's not happening. And this, I think floats into our conversation on just holistically around systemic things and bias and, and, and all of that is that with, with all of this um, kind of the information that we fill in about each other, and I'll be even more specific, you know, that allegedly that white people fill in about black people or mm -hmm. brown people, right? Yeah. That because you are black, because you are brown, then perhaps you were more prone to crime, more prone to violent crime, more prone to nonviolent crime, right? That's the information that gets filled in in the body, maybe not in the language that you use in your psychology, but perhaps in how you interact and react and, and your automatic judgments or affirmations around things you see in the news. Well, of course he did it, right? Of mm -hmm. course he did it. I mean, look at him. He's what? He's nothing but he's just black. That's the only thing you know about him, right? So I think you can act, that you can automatically ascertain just by looking at him um, or someone else, you know, that looks like him, like me, for instance, you know. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's just really complex. Just a lot to really pull apart there. Yeah, you know, and it's not as easy. It's it, just like incarcerating him or not. Yeah, yeah, and but even the language we're using around it, like you know, oh, he makes it harder for you know racial reconciliation racial conversations like even the fact that we're saying like we're not saying that about robert Kraft and white people no we're rich, not we might say that about rich white men the fact that they're able to get off like that's like that doesn't help right <laughs> like that conversation right. right which there i think could be elements of truth to but like we aren't saying oh robert Kraft, you're making this difficult for white people like set us back the, the very fact that we're even using that language and saying those words is indicative of a, of a problem like mm -hmm. we we don't you might not even realize it if you're saying those words like um but but it is and why are we having why are we putting so much pressure on jesse smollett except that uh there is a lot of finger pointing at black people and saying well your behavior is why you're in jail stop mm -hmm. behaving like that right and so um right, right and then the other side of you know of sort of the argument for black people is like hey look like why would you if you did this, why would you do this? Like, you know, and mind you that the police chief, you know, in Chicago is, is, is a black man and, and a lot of police officers there, you know, are black and they're the ones that are protesting that we're protesting him as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so th it's, it's just not easy. I mean, there's a there is a progressive and then a more conservative side to this case, you know, that 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 I think is being fueled in its tension because of what we understand or even because of what we don't understand our tension with with what's going on in the criminal justice system right now um, that is fueling a lot of the animus. It's fueling some of the like, let's save him. And it's also fueling some of the let's indict him and put his behind in jail and make an example of him, mm. right? Now, maybe it's his fault that he's in the middle of all that, right? But the reality is that he's probably not the first person 
that's been in the middle like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I just know that, that, that this is the tension. I'm grateful that, that the conversation is happening and maybe, you know, we can attribute this damage to his detriment, you know, cause he's gonna, who knows if he'll be able to work again. I don't know. Like, I think that empire is going to cut him. Who's, who's, who's really say, but it's really sad, you know, that, that that's where, where we've landed, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the manner of desperation that he can even go to and with his privilege, you know, um, with the money that he was making, he's not making enough. Like mm -hmm. who's, who's to say why, you yeah. know, that, that that was to fuel and you can't, yeah. Is it mental health? Is it emotional health? You know, whatever it is. I mean, these are things that are being fueled. I think that the other thing could be said, if you guys haven't heard about sort of the, uh, um, uh, campus like enrollment scandal going on with the celebrities and people of high net worth, mm -hmm. um, Lori Lachlan and, mm. Felicity Huffman and these gals that were, um, and or these parents that were paying fifty thousand to five hundred thousand dollars to get their daughters admitted to colleges, and now they're in jail or no, not in jail, they're in court, um, uh, pending with pending indictments, and are literally unaware of the fact that they may actually go to jail for what they've done, mm -hmm. right? And the world is kind of just like, this is offensive, mm -hmm. you know, like this is horrible, you know. But who are the people that don't get into colleges, right, mm -hmm. because of these guys paying off? This is why affirmative action is in place right. <laughs> it's because of what they're doing right yeah. so um that's a little off but we're talking about the the like the way that the criminal justice system handles mm. you know certain people versus other people right? right and where is the outrage where is the protesting there are people outside asking them for their autographs mm. while they're going in to jail right yeah. now who's asking jesse smollett for his autograph yeah. you know during this situation i don't know yeah. you know yeah and uh and to kind of put a not a bow on it because we're not done talking here but to kind of uh mm -hmm. kind of reflect on a little bit what we're talking about is the criminal justice system mass incarceration disproportionately impacting black and brown people and the poor people and one thing that like white people have trouble understanding is that like when they hear you say that they're like okay so what you're saying is that they're just cops are racist and they're just all cops are racist and they run around arresting black people and and no, it's not as simple as saying that, like, yeah, you just have these, like, KKK hooded policemen running around trying to round up black people. Not saying that. I think that there's majority of men and women uh, in police departments are good men and women who want to serve their communities. And I'm not saying that. But if you look at the systemic issues that uh, go into who gets caught up in the criminal justice system, it is disproportionately impacting economically disadvantaged and economically disadvantaged people tend to disproportionately be black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And so like, here's some things that you to kind of help give you some framework and understanding for that and how that might look in a criminal justice system. One is uh, a couple of fictional movies that you can go watch uh, to kill a mockingbird. You can watch that movie or read the book. And it's about a man who is put on trial uh, for a crime that, uh, that he didn't commit uh, but was found guilty anyway due to some implicit biases of the jury. Uh, if you go watch The Hate You Give, that gives you a really good illustration into how people get caught up into the, the criminal justice system and start dealing maybe drugs um, because they do have to provide food. They have to they have to live. We talked about last week or, or last episode. Um, some of the things that are necessary to keep us alive, food, shelter, like those things require money. And uh, and in some neighborhoods, that's like the easiest way to do that is to start dealing and, and bringing in money for you and your family. Um, but then also so we have this war on on drugs, you know, stemming from the 80s and that captured, you know, uh, ensnared a bunch of poor people, black and brown people. Um, so that's that's another movie. Uh, some some language that you can use if you want to research some of this is pretextual stops. So if you are driving around and you have like a brake lamp that's out or a headlamp that's out, a cop can pull you over because that's a code violation. You're driving around with a, like, with a, a headlamp being out. And once they stop you, then they have all kinds of reasons to kind of poke and prod and like see what you're up to. Maybe they ask to search your vehicle. Uh, and then maybe they find drugs in your car, you know, just trace amounts of like mm -hmm. marijuana. And then that's something that they arrest you for, uh, bring you to jail. You go before a judge, you get convicted. Um, and, and maybe the first sentence maybe is very light. Like maybe you don't see any jail time. Maybe you're on probation. But going back to modifying behavior, well, just don't do that then. Just don't drive around with drugs in your car. It's not as simple as that. If if drugs are your lifeline for providing food, putting food on the table, then that is very hard to break out of. And um, and so then another thing that uh, that is discussed in criminal justice reform circles is uh, 
what's called mandatory minimums. So, you know, three strikes you're out kind of deal with each um, conviction, your your uh, sentencing is is compounded. And so, you know, you might get a slap on the wrist for the first one, but the second and the third one, which you're almost guaranteed to uh, fall into because probation is just telling people don't do that. There's not really a lot of counseling that goes into that or uh, or teaching you how to get out of it. It's basically just don't do that again. Uh, and, and again, going back to my parking example, it's not as easy as just not doing it. And so what happens is, is people will get caught up in it and another maybe nonviolent offense, maybe it's not even drug related. Maybe it's just, they couldn't stay out of trouble. Maybe it was, they got in a fight. Um, and then they go before the judge and the judge is handcuffed. Like a lot of States have these in place where, you know, because of harsh sentencing structure, like being tough on crime, um, like now they're hounded around as a judge. Maybe they don't even want to enact that sentence, but the law has handcuffed them. And now, you know, instead of, I don't know, I'm, I'm not like these aren't representative of actual times, but like maybe instead of one year or six months, now you're doing 10 years for a, a really silly minor offense just because of mandatory minimums. Um, and so those are some things that you can kind of look at and see and begin to research and wrap your head around the, the idea of why it's not as easy to just say, well, don't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Some other, um, uh, you know, a movie I really love is A Time to Kill. It's a movie with Matthew McConaughey and Samuel Jackson. Uh, totally check it out. There is, I mean, watch the entire movie. You'll be incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and then get to, and it's worth it to hang in there for the soliloquy, um, the rather the monologue that Matthew McConaughey has at the, and he plays a lawyer and he has closing arguments and it's worth it to see that. Um, you know, we were uh, talking about, you know, sort of like what our call to action, you know, would be in this, on this episode. <laughs> you know, um, you know, we've leaned heavy into this discussion around criminal justice reform. You know, there's something else you guys should look up. It's this thing called restorative justice, you know, which is something, um, you know, that... Um, I think once you learn about it, you may be on board with it, you know, it's at least in its, in its ideology, <laughs> you know, um, in its purity. And of course, when we get to application, things are a little bit harder, but that is more of a, a way that systems can start to see what their interventions can be in order to not only rehabilitate, but then restore people back into the communities, um, once they, they're getting out of prison, um, post-incarceration, um, but uh, so that that call to action is just to, to to research, to consume these resources, to challenge yourself um, with content that you typically wouldn't go to, um, and I and I think we're being very intentional when it comes to giving you some of these things. You know, like I know everyone's sort of got busy schedules. And I know we do, but these are really important things that if you get into the experience, you know, turn off your phone and actually engage them. I think that the other things, you know, that we've talked about is, um, is not being afraid to have the conversations, you know, actually, you know, if you're white, like, don't be as afraid or at least like confront your fear, you know, and having the conversation with people of color around this, um, ask questions, you know, and if you're a person of color being really intentional to not operate out of bitterness or fatigue, um, take a deep breath and communicate, but, but recognize, you know, that if we don't come together and and intentionally have the conversations and build relationally, then not, not any of us are, are going to be, um, like empowered to really make a difference. Right. And the real difference is coming when, when each one of us at an individual level, and then even our collective identity together is empowered to, to engage, um, not only, um, with, with the systems to change the systems, to make them better, but when it comes to community, um, like engagement and activism and programs that help and relationships that are restorative that um, if, if, if we're not able to have the conversations with each other um, in a way that maintains or even like affirms our human dignity, mm. then we're not going to get there. So yeah. I'm playing the long game here, yeah. you know, 50 years, hundred years, whatever it takes, you know, to really change this thing, you know, and make it better because we're looking at, you know, my eight year old nephew, you know, what's the world going to be like, you know, in 20 years for him, you mm. know, um, 
and I'm an optimist. I'm not saying it's going to be worse, you know, but I'm not taking it for granted mm-hmm. either, yeah. you know, that it won't be. So, yeah. um, but it all starts with having conversations with him, having conversations with people that I love and know, um, especially people of influence, you know, um, you know, or people who will have a place of influence, mm-hmm. you know, in 20 years, you know, we look at millennials now, people are like, well, when millennials come into power and I'm like, oh, honey, like, don't you know that millennials are actually like, these are the people that are actually writing the laws, you know, mm-hmm. you know on yeah. Capitol Hill yeah. and they're the ones that are implementing and, 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 and really educating, you know, their senators and their Congress people, you know? Yeah. So, um, so don't take it for granted who you're talking to, why, but be intentional to have the conversations and yeah, it's scary, but I'd much rather, you know, do that than yeah. do nothing. Yeah. And we we didn't we're not going to change your mind in this episode. You know, we want to make you we want to get you thinking about things. We want to make you maybe curious about these things. Uh, And if you're relying on us to change your mind, it's not going to happen. Like we can spit out all kinds of figures and statistics, um, but there's not anything that's going to do to change your mind except for your own curiosity and researching some of these things and exposing yourself to these things. And this is coming from a white guy who, you know, 10 years ago was saying those things like, well, you know, the, if you can't do the crime, don't do the time. It wasn't Abraham Lincoln. It was me. Um, and <laughs> it was so me. I came up with it. <laughs> I came up with it. Uh, and so but being exposed and learning the totality and learning about myself. And, and that's, again, what we want to do if, is you need to be able to extend grace to others. Like that's a, another paradox. We talked last week, uh, last episode about. One of the paradoxes in life is just war for whatever reason, topsy turvy to find your life. You have to lose it. Like this is another one of those paradoxes is that where, you know, for code violators, maybe the best thing isn't to come down hard on them and enact a harsh punishment, uh, but to allow them to walk in the grace and mercies mm-hmm. that we uh, are able to walk in. And if you can't extend that grace and mercy, then maybe you are not giving that, allowing yourself to walk in it. Maybe you have a lot of guilt and shame yourself. Uh, maybe you're holding yourself up to some high standards. And and being Christians, Brandon and I here, uh, we believe that Jesus Christ came to earth, human incarnate of God, and, and freed us up, extended that grace, served as a model for us to walk in that. And all those uh, religious folks of the day who were coming down and hard on people and saying, this is the Mosaic law, this is the law, you're in violation of it, and now you must be like stoned to death. Jesus is walking up and he's saying, like, no, like that's not it. Like, if we want to be able to grow as human beings and be good humans, whatever that means, we have to be able to walk in grace um, to to be able to do that. Because guilt and shame, if you want a good resource on that, look up Brene Brown. She has some great stuff around that. But guilt and shame is going to imprison your heart longer than, than anything ever will. And so allow yourself to walk in that that mercy, allow yourself to walk in that grace uh, and then extend it to others. And one thing as a call to action, one thing that I, I recently was exposed to was this, it's called a prayer of examine. Brandon, you, you might be aware, more familiar with this than I am, but uh, look, learned it through church. And basically it, it gives you some meditative questions and through prayer allows you to, to ask things like, when did you feel in this last week like you were most close to God? And, and you don't have to be believing God. You don't have to be religious to, to do this examination, but do that. And I think that you'll discover some really neat things about yourself that you can amend and modify behaviors where you feel like you're violating your own code that you didn't even realize. Um, and then you can begin to extend that same grace. Once you've applied it to yourself, you can apply it to, to others in your community. Yeah. Um, the final thoughts on that for me is just, you know, um, we were actually recording on a Sunday, you know, so we're real churchy right, right now. But, um, you know, in Romans where it says that, you know, all of all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 where it says that there is not one righteous, no, not one. And, you know, the degree to which we are able to extend mercy towards other people is the degree to which we understand that is the degree to which we have understood our need for it. And if we are not able to as Paul said also in Romans, if it had not been for the law, it would not have known sin. If somehow you think or we've rationalized that we are absolved, you know, because of how we look, how we talk, or whatever it is from some sort of, um, of like intractability, you know, like we are just as prone to murder as anyone else. <laughs> you know, we are just as prone, you, you if, if you never thought that you could murder someone, you know, I want you to look at anyone in the news and 
in the last 30 or 40 years that's of high profile who also thought that, you know, that was convicted of murder, right? Um, not people that had any signs of mental health issues. They were just filled with rage and greed and anger and deceit and malice and all these things, you know, like all of those things we we are prone to. We are prone to wander into these dark places of our own hearts. And the only way, you know, that we really avoid, you know, um, that or the growth of some of that cancer, you know, is through community. It's through challenge. It's through healthy circumstances, healthy resources, healthier families, communities, things of that sort, you know. And, um, and uh, you know, God help us, you know, that that we would continue to spread that love out you know, all over the world, you know, for people who have experienced incarceration or um, have been convicted of murder to recognize, hey, look, like you're, they're not so different than I am, you know, um, they've gone through their own relative amount of trauma, you know, but maybe I had some resources to get through my trauma, you know, and they didn't have resources to get through theirs and they were trying to survive. It doesn't minimize what they've done, but it helps us to humanize the people and say, hey, wait a minute, what am I actually enforcing here? What am I actually saying? When I'm like, you know what, we should just, you know, be the worst, you know, for these people, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that, to, that, you know, to try and sway anyone's opinion on capital punishment or anything like that. You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but what I am saying is, is that we have a, we have a personal responsibility as individuals to be empowered, right. Mm -hmm. To show love, to, um, to be light. And you are most full of light when you let the light encounter your own darkness, mm -hmm. right? You are the most full of light when you actually empower it or, or when you actually like encounter it, you know, mm -hmm. and what, and encounter what, encounter your darkness, mm -hmm. right? And let the light in, you know, mm -hmm. and that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're talking about now mm -hmm. is letting the light in. So let it in, y'all. Mark's hands are in the air. We're waving them. <laughs> we're waving them up. We're waving them up. Oh, yeah. It's true. Oh, let Lord. the light in. You know, it's what? Sunday. I have evening church. I don't have anything else planned for the rest of the day. It's going to be a pretty chill day. I'm just, we went to church just now. That's great. We like, went to church man, right now. To church right now. I I'm about fed. to go eat right now. Oh, yeah. Brandon's about to go I'm eat. About to He's go about eat. to get his post-church meal on. Post-church post meal and um, pre-church meal. That's right. That's right. Mm, I do post things. and pre. Right? Mm. <laughs> okay. That's the only way. Love, uh, love all of you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in this we week. We are signing off. Uh, we are signing off. Maybe going to talk about dating next week. Dating? Who knows? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, we don't want to. I got, well, well, you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> you don't want to talk about it with me, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about like slavery, but like dating. But though. we could. Uh, yeah. But but dating. This is real slavery. <laughs> right. Just kidding. Love. Love y'all. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you had know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.